From his first job flipping burgers at McDonald's and delivering the Washington Post, Craig Willett counts only one and a half years of his adult life working for someone else. Welcome to the Biz Sherpa Podcast with your host, Craig Willett, founder of several multi-million dollar businesses and trusted advisor to other business owners. He's giving back to help business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs achieve fulfillment, enhance their lives, and create enduring wealth. The Biz Sherpa. This is Craig Willett, The Biz Sherpa. Welcome to today's episode. I'm really excited to have a special guest today join us. He's done a couple startups, but one that we're really excited about is Agreed Software. His name is Mark Crockett. This isn't his first rodeo, and he's had a lot of business experience. So I hope that you gain from him the insights that will help you be more successful in business. Mark, thanks for joining us. Happy to. Thanks for inviting me. You know, you started your career with a degree in law. Did you practice law before you got into management consulting? Uh, not for very long. I think Good. It was, You're pretty smart. It was about a, it was about a year. Okay. <laughs> Great. And then what led you to go into management and business consulting? Um, actually, it was, um, I had kind of done a, a version of consulting before going to law school. And I thought that it was interesting. Um, McKinsey kept kind of keeping in track with me over the years. And, um, and at some point, I thought law was... Um, it was wonderful to, to, to learn the law, but it was really boring to do it. <laughs> so after a while, I thought I would just walk across the street in L.A. and sign up for McKinsey. Well, that's a pretty prestigious firm. So how did you get an in there and, and what <laughs> attracted you over the law in, in particular? Why did you... Well, you know, I have—I really don't have any bad things to say about law. I mean, there are lots of jokes about it, but it's a great profession, and they, you know, I, I would have had a great, uh, a great career if I had stayed. I'm sure, but um, I really liked solving problems. The um, how to pick apart something and put it back together, and then have it come to life. Um, was a different kind of thing than I was experiencing with um, documents. Oh, okay. Very interesting. <laughs> right. And, and early in careers, whether I started as a CPA, uh, it's a lot of paperwork, a lot of a, documents. You're really not on the front line solving the problems. It's, yeah. You can see I, some of the problems, but you really don't have any influence over them. And I was probably just a punk and impatient. <laughs> but you bring up a key skill, and that is to be a business owner, in my opinion, it is a lot about problem solving. Whether it's your product or your service, you're solving problems for your customers. Mm -hmm. And I think the better you are at that, the easier you make someone's life, the more they're willing to pay or buy your product or service. So I'm really key, uh, I'm really curious as to how you use that problem solving uh, desire through your career in management consulting and what led you to make your first jump into buying a business? Mm. Well, the first, um, the first one was just um, jumping off, you know, like we're, we're all young at some point in time. And um, I'd done management consulting for about five years, and I, I don't know, I was impatient again. And I thought, I, 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 I want to go someplace. I'm, I'm going to move to Utah because I don't know why, and I want to buy a business. So I went looking around for businesses, got a friend to join in with me, and we bought this little business and rolled it out really fast. And did everything wrong, and it was a lot of fun and a lot of, <laughs> and a, and a lot of pain. <laughs> so what are some of the things that you would do differently if you say you did them wrong? What, what in particular, what would, you, what would you say would be key to other people who want to start a business? And I think it's really important to not, to own a business, but it has to be the right one. It has to be the right time. So what, what led, what would you do over again that would, have made that a, a, probably a more 
Not that it wasn't successful, but a, a more pleasant experience. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, it's, um, it's relevant for me now um, with this new venture. Um, I think what we got wrong before um, with my first go around was we went too hard, too fast, and we didn't appreciate all of the details. You know, we, we tried at that time to roll out, um, I think it was 100 stores across five states with two different super, um, 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 supermarket chains, all within two months. Wow, yeah, that was, <laughs> that's an ambitious it endeavor. Was, it was a little much. It was a little much, and there were so many details about how we had to do it. And we, um, well, how did you fund that too? I mean, that that's an aggressive growth uh, trajectory. So, how do you finance that kind of growth? Uh, well, it was a small business that was already there. We um, we funded a little bit and bought it out, and then um, you know this was 1999 and things were wild and woolly. So um, we got $4 million of funding because it had already been tried and true. Uh, the rollout was too fast. And this was a venture capital funding? Yeah, it was. Okay. It was, yeah. And uh, we're trying to stay away from them now because <laughs> <laughs> we didn't want to go fast and they wanted to push us. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you learned from that. And yeah. wh what did you do after that? Uh, then I went back to a different version of consulting, which, um, well, I also did a, I was in a hedge fund for four years and um, learned somewhat about markets. Um, but it, I just, it wasn't tactile enough for me. I wanted to do things. So I went back to consulting and it was in a different form. Instead of telling people or even providing suggestions, I'd say the, the core of what we do is, uh, still is we never make recommendations. Oh, really? Because you typically would think that that's what you hire someone for. That's what consultants do. Come back and justify. Do. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm hiring you because you know something, and so you're going to tell me you know, what the grand answer is, and um, we stopped doing that entirely. Really? Yeah. That's an interesting take. So how was that received in, by your customers? Well, it was a little confusing at the front end, but I think it um, manifestly was far more productive. So McKinsey, uh, my old firm, uh, they have uh, a similar product to what we do now. And they do it only on a consulting basis. And only half of the things that are recommended get implemented. That's a coin toss, right? I, and 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 when you're when you're spending ten million dollars a pop, I, I think you ought to get more than fifty percent. So how do you get them to make changes without making recommendations? That's an interesting philosophy. It is. It is the philosophy, and I think it's really all about agency. And our agreed software at its core is we want to increase the agency of mankind at work and in the world. Or in other words, people should be able, whether they are on the front lines or they are in IT or they are in product development, they are the closest ones to the action. They see what works. They see what does not work. Right, and they hear from the people when it doesn't work. And they hear from the people when it doesn't work. And they're willing to listen. <laughs> yeah, right. that's right. And so I like that because that really breaks it right down to some core principles that I really believe in, and that is get close to that feedback from your customers. Yeah. So how do you get from being managed? Because they're not the ones hiring you. You're being hired by people who oversee them. So how do you get to them? Well, here's a, another illustration of that. Part of it was, um, so when we, we, we did this whole thing in 2011 and 12 with Bank of America when they were really in a bad spot. And uh, they had at the time, I think, 255,000 employees. <laughs> and we went through the entire company in two segments and we only took 14 consultants with us wow. to turn the whole company around. We did that by engaging all the people across the organization, the different leaders. We pulled people out from inside the company who had some sort of context but not enough to actually know the answer. 
And then we would bring people and put them together. And this, this, the simple view version is, it, is that we, you come up with, well, what's not working? Well, what are some ways that we could make it work? Uh, you know, is that going to be hard? Is that, can you put together a business case about that? We'll help you put together a business case on that. I'm not going to put any of the numbers in. You have to own the numbers. Who could block the implementation of this? So it's asking the right questions to help them realize the changes that need to be made. So they're buying in because it's their idea. It's their idea. It has to be their idea, not just at the high level, but all the way down, way in the detail. So let's How do say, you get that? Because uh, usually there's, a, there's friction at that level. Well, my boss wants me to do it, so I don't. Just by the nature, that because sometimes my boss does, he doesn't want me. Did you run into that? Mm -hmm. Or am I daydreaming that that ha doesn't happen? Well, it does happen um, for sure. But there's a process and a software. And it's basically the same software, except that we're making it cooler now. Um, the same software that we've been working on for a long time. This is like our sixth build of wow. this software. And what it does is you have all of these things that aren't working. Okay. How could we fix them? How can we engage with people and have a software that documents it all? And if we take them through that process, it actually kind of changes the way people think and it makes it easy for them to get stuff done. So you said you made it cooler because to me, if I'm sitting there at a desk and I get this software that I have to kind of <laughs> yeah. fill out, it seems like, oh no, reports yeah. and accountability. Yeah. And, you know, I just kind of like to show up to work and kind of do my thing within the general parameters that are given me. So how do I buy into this and how do I interact with it without that becoming a burden? Yeah. Well, there are, um, let me see if I can think of a, a really good example. Um, all right, here's one. We were working with a company up in the Midwest and um, they do all of the inventory counting in the middle of the night at Target and Old Navy. And um, one of the ideas that somebody came up with was, you know, we keep going to this bus stop, we get in this van, and then we go someplace, and then we do our thing, and then we come back. And then, and it's just such a slog, because I'd rather just go home. <laughs> I'd rather, and, and then, by the way, you, why do you want to own vans? Why do you want to have liability in the middle of the night when you're driving around with all these people? So why don't we just switch so that everybody can go from their home on Uber and meet at the Old Navy. Wow. Now that's, everybody was happier. So yeah. Everybody was happier. And they didn't it actually have to have conversations with people in the middle of the night they didn't want. They to didn't have to do that. And it, they, got, they actually got there more often on time. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. And it was cheaper. So how do you get buy-in across different levels then to do that. Right. Especially if maybe one of the people had a company car and now they weren't going to have a company car. Oh, because they're asked to take Uber instead. Huh? Right. I mean, they're just all these little nuances. And so, yeah, so how do you affect that kind of change? Well, I wouldn't want to give up my company car. <laughs> I felt I had earned it. I know. I know. Well, a lot of them kept their cars. Because, you know, some things matter more than other things to people. Did they drive that instead of the Uber? It ended up being a mix. Oh, okay. We ended up having a mix of vans and cars and Ubers. Okay. Interesting solution, though. Yeah. To get buy-in all the way across the board. So how are you able to make things cooler nowadays? Because I think of, you look at software and how it's, emerged and you know now there's artificial intelligence and it anticipates answers and yeah. how, how, did, how are you able to make it cool? Well, we're definitely heading that direction all the way. Um, you know, it'll be really nice when somebody is, you know, thinking, how could I actually do this? And then, you know, the right nudge comes and says, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this next? 
try this. Why don't you go call this person? This person actually would know how to help you. So, and that comes from consultants, or that comes from the that, software that knowledge. That comes from the software knowledge about what people are actually interacting. So, inside companies, we. Um, you know, there are all of these positions and roles and, you know, structure. structure. And they work within the software to get an idea, syndicate it, get people to, in five different stages, move from, hey, I have an idea, to we're now ready to completely implement this. And So it kind of allows you to dr- jump across some borders that otherwise might seem taboo at some points in certain organizations? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, it's an adjustment. People like to be decision makers. But I think what we've really actually learned is um, executives love it when everything that they need to know is served up on a plate and they just say, "Uh, gee, that looks great. Yeah, why not do it? <laughs> Everybody has said yes. The business case, oh yeah, that person, that's the right validator. Yeah, actually she knows those numbers. He doesn't know that number, you gotta go back. and when they have that level of information and they can you know make decisions every two minutes or less it's really fun for them now how are you making this adaptation from large organizations to smaller organizations yeah we um are uh we are about to launch with a land and expand program where you know it's ten dollars a month per person and you can just go and try it and there will be nudges in there to say well have you talked to your boss yet these are the kinds of things that you might want to ask these are how here's the how how the interaction should go so that you know you're going to have a good conversation so somebody could go to their boss or the owner of a smaller business and say you know sometimes we're not able to get the changes that maybe we need to make here's a way that maybe we can all agree yeah on solutions do you mind if we pay the there's five of us the 50 dollars a month and give this a shot. Yeah, and we're going to let them try it before they buy it as well. Oh, really? Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that. That's an interesting well, people, concept. People don't actually generally know this process. It's been around for 20, 30 years, but most people if on the front lines, they don't know this process. So we can say, hey, these good things are going to happen to you if you try it, but it's a lot better if they actually just try it. Right. So we can give them two, three months, so they get, get a, a whole bunch a of things done. to see, hey, does this work for us? Yeah. And We'd love to have them not have any obligation to get all the way through to have a few things that are actually approved. And working, starting to and work. Starting to work, and then they're going to tell everybody, and this will be how we do work. Boy, that's almost better than a testimonial. You don't have to believe somebody else. You can try it yourself if it works. Uh, Definitely. And it's better than money back guarantee, right? Because you haven't spent anything yet. Yeah, sure. I like that. So how do you define success? I mean, you talked about a business that you bought, and then you jumped back in, and you seem to be an expert at being able to help people ask the right questions. And you've designed some software to help people ask the right questions to get buy-in in an organization to make, in effect, change that makes the company probably more profitable, but also more responsive to their, in return, more responsive to their customers. So how do you define success at the end of the day when you go home as a management consultant or as the owner of agreed software? I mean, what, what is success in your mind? Well, success for me is that somebody feels empowered, that they can actually go get something done. That's, that's my why. You know, a lot of people don't feel like they can do that. Whether... So you're tra- taking an employee out of the drone or drudgery frame of mind and saying, hey, you can make a difference in your company. Yeah. And we're going to help you with some tools. Yeah. And, you know, if we go all the way through some of the things that haven't really worked before, you know... There are biases. 
There are different experiences that people have had. Some have been rewarded disproportionately because there isn't actually a way to measure. And people have felt like, like they don't, nobody listens to me because there's no way to have that conversation. Right. So if we- So they become discouraged. Right. And just start doing the job out of routine. So this, as an employer, if you're an employer, you would want this because this empowers your employees. And even more importantly, maybe if I feel empowered at work, I won't go home and kick the dog. Because <laughs> so that's what it really change. needs to It needs to be a life change. We need to have a different way of working and a different way of interacting with each other. And there are so many things going on in the world right now where things are up in the air, this is the perfect time for us to reset. We want people to feel totally empowered at work and at home and in the world to go through this process at a big level or at a teeny level to say, I can get something done. I can reach out to other people and know that they will help me get something done. I, I remember one of my children working for a company and he was feeling They'd always give him a ton of tasks and he would do it and they would say, you could get a promotion when you can do this and he'd master that and then and the promotion never came and it never came and, and he finally decided to make a career jump and he switched to another organization who, they, his whole outlook on life, his, his personal happiness and satisfaction, they, they value him. They, the person that's not even just his boss but over, the supervisor over his boss calls him and just, hey, what, what are you thinking and what can we do and how do you feel about these things? And all of a sudden he feels like somebody values what he can do. It makes all the difference in the world and his comportment and his happiness. Yeah, people want to be paid, but they really want to do something real and to be rewarded for it. And so now we'll be able to actually know who is delivering who is actually interacting in a good way or a bad way, and how to guide them so that they are actually productive. And then people are gonna say, all right, uh, you know, I'm working in a place that may or may not be paying me exactly what I want, but I love what I do. Hmm. So how do you measure that then? So that's your why, that motivates you, and that, that's your measure of success, that people are able to feel that way, but how do you measure that? Well, it's actually not going to be that hard. Okay. Because when somebody comes up with an idea, okay, what's the, what's the promoter score for the people who said, okay, I am going to come and help you? Okay, that's one piece. Did I get the number right? Did the number end up being right? And you know, in any business case, there are like 16 different numbers. Right. So who are getting the numbers right? And when people are getting them wrong, how can we guide them to say, hey, you know, you kind of failed on this thing and this is why, and now this is what you should be coached on. And- So um, it's almost a self-improvement at work. This is exactly what we want it to be. Wow. Personal tutorial all the time at work. Wow. So you must, when you see that work, and you probably you shared some experiences where you saw that happen, where people were riding a van and they were very dissatisfied. I have to go meet, then somebody's <laughs> always late, so the van's waiting for the person that's late because they slept in, and then it causes discord. Yeah, that creates some kind of emotional reward that you take with you. So is that what drives you? That emotional satisfaction to see lives changed, where people are happier to work? Yeah. Yeah, if it's not going to, if, if, if this isn't what we are, if, if this is not what we become, then I will be very disappointed. Oh, okay. Well, you know, that leads me to another question. You know, what led you to the idea to go do this on your own? Uh, well, we've been working on this um, as consultants um, for about 20 years. And it is... Um, I guess a little context, uh, I won't tell it too much, but over 70 clients, we have always gotten between 90 and 110% actually implemented. Wow. 
That's a pretty good track record. It's a pretty good track okay, record. Okay, when you from, say as consultants, this is a broad term. This is your team of consultants. That was. Now, we had it, um, the difference between our last version as consultants and now as software is bridging that gap where we bake in all the things that the consultants would have guided and do it much more personally. Um, so this could be done with or without consultants. I believe we're gonna have consultants who are using this all the time. Okay. And great. And we're going to bake all the things that consultants have ever done and do and bake it in and make it more and more personal so that we all become consultants. We all have that capability built in to ourselves. That's gonna take us a while. Back to the small business case then or the small business model. Most small business owners don't feel like they can hire a consultant yeah. to do that. That seems out of the budget. They're plowing everything they can back into their product research or development or inventory or whatever it is that drives their advertising, whatever drives their sales and their, and their customer satisfaction. But they don't feel they can take the t they don't have the time nor the ability. So as that's baked in, is this something that a small business can rely on without a real expensive consultant a consultancy agreement. Absolutely. Um, thank you for pointing that out exactly because, you know, if it's $10 or $20 a month per user, you know, a small business, that's not a lot of money. No. It's not even that much money if it's 300,000 people. Right. It's, um, but it's providing the tools, it's providing the nudges, it's providing the, the wherewithal to go get things done. And if they need solving, because sometimes there are really thorny problems, right? Well, then this is a good platform for consultants too. So why would I adopt this, right? I'm, maybe I'm a little bit older and I, was, I don't want a piece of software making decisions for me or nudging me. How is it so smart to be able to ask me some good questions? Yeah, um, this is going to take us a lot of years to get that right. It will take a lot of years, but um, but there's some, with some basics that are the, there. The already, basics right? are already there about how to go through the process and how to get everybody to agree. The basic problem that we see that is ubiquitous is, hey, we can all talk about things, but coming to an actual agreement has generally been hard and we make that easy. So it doesn't really matter what you're nudging them to do so long as you're nudging them to agree right. on solutions that people can agree across the board. Right, because if and anybody that, could say no, well then that means that you don't actually have an agreement. No, you don't because somebody starts implementing it, they get three quarters of the way done, you've invested time and effort and then the person that wants to say no finally sees it and says, we're not doing that, then everybody's morale drops and you've spent money and it's wasted. And that's where we go back to McKinsey and the beef from back then was, and the 50% is because they're still making the recommendations instead of each person saying, I vouch for this number. So it doesn't really matter what it's asking me to do so long as it's asking me to cooperate and we agree on an objective that's gonna benefit the company and its customers. Right. And we've all, and we, and we are all so aligned that we won't actually fail. So it doesn't matter that it's helping me make decisions so long as it's helping me come to agreement within the organization on a plan of action and allowing that plan to work and measure it. Yes. And then to be able to do that at scale. That's really interesting. I like that better than it asking me too many questions because I'm like, hey, no. I oh, no. <laughs> but if we can come you, to you the agreement, I like, that, I like your premise that if we can all agree, it's not going to get tripped up and we're all working toward the same objective. And I think there's a lot of organizations that I know, including some that I've owned, where <laughs> <laughs> that would have been really beneficial along yeah. the way. I, I, I understand. Because <laughs> it lets you see where, the, where their hangups are and you can... You can work on those. Yeah. I like that. So what's the greatest unexpected challenge you had in starting a business? Whether I think you told us about your one in the grocery stores, the tax preparation mm -hmm. company, but what about this time around? What was the biggest unexpected thing going from being an employee working for 
one of the top management consulting firms in the country, certainly in the, in the country, if not the world, to now being a business owner and wearing a business owner's hat. What was unexpected about the, uh, your day-to-day -day life or challenges that you didn't think you'd face? It's a really great question. Um, a few come to mind, but um, I say that the most uh, difficult thing that it has been for me is, uh, and I think this is true for a lot of people who have lived in an organization and they think that they know how it works and then I'm gonna go replicate it in some other version. Um, I have just continually thought I knew the answer. I mean, I've been working on this for five prior iterations. I've been working on this for 20 years. And ah, it's just so hard to let go <laughs> of what you thought, what I thought I knew. Because now when we're trying to make it so collaborative, you know, a whole lot of things have to change in the way we think about just the basic structures and how to engage and therefore what team I need. And it's been, um, yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've stubbed my toe a few times. Well, yeah, I would imagine we all do when we're taking on something, but it's interesting to make that move and jump into business but it's how we respond to those challenges. So it sounds to me like you're trying to get the right team together, mm -hmm. right? Because for you to build this, you have to almost use your own software. We, so we, we, we do, uh, we do. And also to understand, you know, in this COVID time, right? So we thought we were gonna go off with all these enterprise things and we were gonna go to all these big companies and lo and behold, last fall, Nobody wanted to buy an enterprise software that they hadn't already used. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there's no market for that. No, there's no ability to train or orient. And I am so glad that that happened to us. Really? It seemed like a lot of people would just go, well, bad timing. Well, we probably would not have changed our whole reason enough if we had kept on selling the software the way we used to sell it. And instead now, you know, $10 per month, anybody pick it up. Okay, that means that we have to be much closer to the actual user, and I think it will make all the difference. And much closer to the actual problem. Yeah. And I think that's where the big greatest changes come. So I was gonna ask you, you know, did you use a business plan? And you kind of answered the question a yeah, little bit. kind of. It, you have this enterprise and, like, and you have to take a different approach, right? <laughs> so that out. <laughs> it's not very close. But, but I like that because if you still believe in it and your, and your product or your service makes a difference for people, then you can adapt. And I, I've always said this, you know, a business plan is an idea and it's a plan of action but you learn things along the way and you, and you need to adapt it. It's not something that's set in stone. Yeah, and sometimes it's big, huge stones that we need to crunch and sometimes it's just like every, I would say two or three times every other day. Oh, no, that's not how we should do that. This is how we should do that. Oh, okay. It's, I mean, it's, it's every other day we're having like, yes, this will be easier. Oh, wow. That's great. That means you're spending a lot of time really caring about what happens in the business. So what advice would you give someone who's been thinking about, you know, maybe somebody in your shoes who's worked for an organization a good part of his life feels like his or her life and knows what they should do or can do better than what they've been experiencing. What advice would you give them about starting a business? That... Um It's worth trying because you end up with um, a different person in yourself. Interesting. And because even if it doesn't work out quite the way you wanted, it's, um, it sets you up for so many interesting experiences and people 
are very generous, I have found. Okay, so you failed once, you failed twice, so that means you're probably about ready <laughs> to do it well on your third try. Mm. And uh, I, think, I, I, I think it's worth failing a couple of times. Interesting. I, I like that. And I don't think we should fear the failure either. I think just jump in and to give it a try, especially if you have some industry knowledge, contacts. It's not that you're without contacts and resources. It's, it's good to have the right people around you, and it's good to have um, something that people already care about. Well, and that leads to the next thing, because starting a business, sometimes, especially a software business, is going to take some money. And some businesses that are service, totally service-oriented don't take as much money up front. So the last time you did one, you put some money in, but then to expand it, big time you took on venture capital money. How did you finance it this time around? Uh, it's been um, all friends and family so far. Your personal investment and then friends and family. Yeah. And I love that. I think it's one of the keys to business success is when you've put it on the line and you go to people who believe in you, they, they're a little more understanding as the plan develops versus being unrealistic. I think your first time around that growth trajectory might have been unrealistic and that was not imposed, that was not your dream, that was the dream of the investor, right? Yeah, that's, that's tr that was true. And so I think that's something key to, to think about as a, wanting to start your business, that you're careful. The type of money and what expectations are placed with that money. But what does it do with knowing that you have your friends and your family's money on the line too, though? Uh, well, let's just say that my um, incredible and knowledgeable father is, um, you know, he asks a lot of questions and they're really good. And all the other people um, that are around us, you know, it's nice to know that somebody's on your side, that they're aligned with you, and that they, um, what we're trying consciously is to find a lot of friends who have specific knowledge that we aren't quite as knowledgeable about. So getting really great advisors, um, people who have seen and done before and try to help us be a little smarter than we otherwise would be. I think that's great. That's a great philosophy. And I think that's one of the keys to success, right? Because you're going to have to attract a lot of talent to hit these ambitious goals that you have. It's nice <laughs> that you're able to do it with employees, but it's also nice you're able to do it with key advisors yeah. or with those who are helping you fund. Yeah. your business, but where they're not necessarily making the decisions, but they have ideas. They do. Or at least they ask the right questions, which is your way of having an idea. Fair enough. Right? Well, how do you um, create a culture in the workplace that is consistent with what your software is trying to do? Uh, it's probably um, give people tools and let them act for themselves. Easy to say, hard it, to do. It is, especially because, you know, some of us have more context than others. So what I'm trying to learn how to do better is to say, here is what we're trying to do at a big level. This is a flow that needs to work within this context. Here are some of the things that we know don't work. We've tried. But we still need to get to this spot. How can you help us get to this spot right. in a simpler, easier, friendlier way? So you take your experience, you share that, but you allow them to come up with a solution, but not make the same mistake that you've made twice. Or four times. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what... What else do you do to engender that kind of cooperation at work? Um, I mean, because this is unusual. Usually we see top heavy management or, you know, management with ideas and they send the directions down and it kind of tends to be task oriented, task flow. And you're kind of turning that on its ear. You're saying, 
hey, the people closest to the customer should be the ones to come up with the ideas, and we should kind of listen as it goes up, as we as as this distills into a solution that makes that benefits everyone. I'd say that um, you know, in companies, that's what we want, and. Um, in our company, there are a bunch of things that we have learned what does work and doesn't work. There are millions of things that we haven't yet, but there are some frameworks, some principles that we know and we have tried for a long time. So we start with that framework. These are the things that we know. These are the things that we don't know. And um, within organizations, I think that's what we would hope for as well that we provide them a framework to say, okay, what are the things that we know? What do we do not know? And who do we need to involve so that people will say yes and go along? Um, is that responsive? Yeah, I think so. I think that is responsive. The other thing I can't help but think about when you had this high level of success at 90% plus uh, success rate at, in your consulting engagement, so to speak, how do you take that kind of success and, and in the process of doing that, were there ever solutions that companies came up with that you didn't think would work but surprised you? Um, I, I, I should say yes, but after a while it just stopped being surprising. Really? Yeah, well, I mean... Because you take the philosophy of, I'm not there to say what I would do, I'm there to ask the right questions to see what's right for the organization to do? Well, in our largest example, you know, we've, we've worked with companies that were $40 million in revenue and, you know, billions and billions. And, you know, um, our biggest example, um, they literally greenlit 230,000 separate ideas. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot. And they were all successful? <laughs> well, they, they got it. Well, they got um, much more than they thought that they were going to get wow. on, a, on, a, on a value basis. That seems overwhelming to me. I mean, as a business... Well, it, well, a, well they also had 255,000 employees. Right. So it's a little bit less than one idea per person. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I guess far be it from you as an outsider to, to be able to say, I know what's best. You kind of look and see and allow them to... That flexibility. But if you think of, like, in any organization, whether big or small, and you, let's say you have five people that are kind of working on some things together. You know, what, is the, what, are, what are the odds that within a year that those five people aren't gonna come up with five things to make it better? And then it's just scale, right? How, that's the process of going through it, getting everybody to agree, making sure that the numbers are correct, you know, okay, five people, that's, that five people exists in any organization, large or small. That's true. I like that idea. I really like what you've done. So I'm curious of all, and you've admitted to making mistakes and learning from errors and that, and I think that's important as, as you build an organization or a company to understand that you're not always going to get it right. But what was your greatest failure and what did you learn from it? Boy, the list is long. <laughs> <laughs> well, they all can't be the greatest. <laughs> uh, the, the greatest failure. Um, I, I, I don't know if this is the greatest failure um, um, in business for me, but I suppose it might have been the tax one. In that... We may have given up too soon. Oh, really? Yeah, maybe and what so. what makes you believe that maybe you gave up too early? Well, it wasn't the wrong answer. I mean, we sold it to H&R Block. We got all of our money back. Okay, so it, it somewhat worked. 
Well, yeah, kind of. But then they shut it down. Really? They completely, they were just trying to make competitors go away. Okay. And... Because uh, I've seen them locate right next to grocery stores. Yeah, which is probably, except that it, it did actually work inside the store. Yeah, it's interesting. Because you only needed to be there for two months. Yeah. And then you could go. Right, so, so it was cheaper. long-term lease. It was actually right. cheaper. Interesting. Yeah. But I, I don't know. We, if, we, if we hadn't run out of money, <laughs> I think, and so maybe we should have tried a little harder. Bootstrap it a little bit. Bootstrap a little bit more. So the lesson learned is this time don't give up so easily. Yeah, and this one matters a lot more to me. So I think we're going to be in it for a while. And let's talk about that because I really take that this is really kind of a mission-driven experience for you. This is something that you really believe in and you really want to make a difference to as many lives as you can. Where does that come from? Most people would sit here, a lot of people would say, hey, if you're interviewing somebody about starting a business, they're going to talk about their exit, how much money they put in it, what kind of return they're going to get for their investors. You're after something different, I take it. So help me understand what that is and what motivates that. Um, all right. Fair questions. Fair questions. And I guess I should start at the beginning. Um, when we started this effort, we said we were going to turn this whole thing over to the Lord. And I don't know if that means anything to other people, and I don't need it to mean that. But it means that we're not in this for the money. It's going to generate billions of dollars. But it's not why we're here. We're here because people need to feel like they are agents unto themselves in the world. That they can go out and find friends and have a way to actually interact and go get cool stuff done. And if they do that, they're just going to be happier. And they're going to find even more interesting things to go do because they now know how to do it. Wow. So you're allowing, and, and I love this, and I think we started with this, and I'm glad we end with it too, but it's really interesting that you allow people to all of a sudden find that they have talents, abilities, and they just need to tweak a little bit, and other people care about what they think. Yeah. And that my idea really made a difference. And I can be recognized. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I don't feel like nobody cares about me. And there's also this other little interesting thing that goes on, which is people have like labels put on themselves by others and by ourselves. Oh, yeah, we, do it for ourselves we do it all the time. And if we could just like start peeling these off, and if you think of like diversity in the workplace, okay, now nobody's going to know, like all of that data will be split apart and they'll know exactly who did, but they don't know whether or not this person is black, white, or yellow. That's interesting. Right? We want people to all be able to access the same kind of experience. Well, I'm glad I interviewed you today because I've been toying with the thought my whole life of why did I own a business and have employees when I feel like employee, being an employee can be like being a slave? And you now take that to empower it in a way I've never really ever envisioned. I mean, I've tried to give people realm of, of authority and, and freedom to operate and come up with their ideas and use their talents and abilities and try to recognize that. But I have to admit, I'm not necessarily the best at it, but I like your philosophy. And if you have something that helps do that, then you take away my whole idea because there's days I want to go on my podcast and say, why do you even have a job? Why work for somebody else? But I realize that doesn't work either because companies need good employees. They do. As well. But they need to recognize them and they do need to empower them. So is there a reason why it's agreed and not empower? Uh, well, I'll tell you a slightly different word instead of empower. Okay. So 
<clears throat> when we were still kind of trapped in our own old mindset, and you know, it's hard to break out of those. I still, I still struggle. But um, our name, actually, right now, our our legal name is still Decide Software. Right. Could there? be anything more antithetical <laughs> to our mission than that name. Right. <laughs> we thought we were going to be doing a decision-making thing. They make everybody have, you can all make decisions. And we sat one day, and as the biggest laughing fest that I have <laughs> experienced in my whole life, we just laughed, and we laughed, and we laughed. Like, this is exactly the opposite of everything we want to do. We don't want to make decisions for you. We want you to come to agreements. And um, so that was, I, I cheated a little bit by sidestepping, but um, I think it's really about coming to agreements. No, but I think that's really what it's all about, right? I mean, if we can agree on a solution and work toward the common solution, then we're working together, not against each other, but when we have decisions made, Sometimes we're asked to buy in on the decision. That's different than having it initiate from you. That is the, that is the nemesis of all of these consultants and the work that people do. It's always somebody who wasn't consulted or who felt pressured or they changed the number after he signed off the, the name. <laughs> So it has to all go in sequence. And, it's, and what we really need to know that is going to work is that all of those stakeholders say yes. Before moving on. Before moving on. Otherwise, they can always back out. Great. Well, you know, I'm excited to kind of follow this and see where it goes. What a great concept. But it's a concept that goes beyond just dollars and cents. And you're right. It can be a huge number in business but those only happen when you're really making a difference and people are benefiting from your product, your service, and your ideas. So I'm anxious to see, because this has the ability to change a lot of workplaces, large and small. Really That's an ambitious endeavor. So I wish you well in that. Well, and you. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Mark. It was great fun. Thank it you. was good to have you here. And I appreciate your candid nature to be able to be open about your prior experiences and your career experiences and the successes that you've experienced. And based on your track record, if you had 90 to 110% achievement in the areas that you're responsible for, I'd look for great things from agreed software. Maybe so. <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> this is Craig Willett, the Biz Sherpa. Thanks for joining me today in the Sherpa's Cave with Mark Crockett. I think you'll We'll put a link to his website, but I think you'll like to go see some of the cool things that he's doing. Be sure to go to our website to access the resources related to this episode at www.bizsherpa.co. If you enjoyed this show, tell your friends about us and be sure to rate our podcast. Craig would like to hear from you, so share your thoughts in the Facebook community at bizsherpa.co. Follow us on Twitter at bizsherpa underscore co and on Instagram at bizsherpa.co.